This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. and welcome. This week we're talking about veganism with Lauren Toyota. As one of Canada's most recognizable media voices, Lauren has become an influential voice of her generation. With her followers coming to know and expect the best vegan options from her, she consistently meets their expectations with a side of charisma. Starting out in her role as a national television host, she has seamlessly transitioned to an independent space where she creates and produces her own content for eight social channels. Launching Hot for Food in 2014, Lauren has grown to incredible heights and has recently released another cookbook that is packed with delicious plant-based recipes. For those unfamiliar with Lauren's work, these vegan recipes are not to be feared. She covers all of our favorite comfort foods, including mac and cheese, burgers, tacos, and even cheesecake. Hot for Food has over 400,000 subscribers and over 26 million channel views. And to top it all off, Lauren was the first person to ever rock the cover of Chatelet Magazine, which I was looking at the other day, which was amazing. So Lauren, thank you so much for being here with us today, all the way from sunny California. We're jealous. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Misery likes company in our Canadian winters, but no, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. So, I mean, such an interesting interesting background. We were, or obviously with that intro touching on it, um, but we'd love to hear from you. How did you get started, you know, talking about veganism? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely just like a personal, you know, decision. I had this sort of break in my television career. So if anyone remembers 2008, when the recession hit, that was a tough time. I actually lost my job. I was working in Vancouver for much music lost my job. So I was like one of the only people in, in Vancouver kind of like let go from those uh, cuts. And I'm not from Vancouver. I just happened to start working in, in media out there. And so I, I, I took that break to kind of move back home, but it was a really weird time. Like had to move back home with my parents and I'm like 26. And, you know, I just thought my career was over. I thought there's no way I'm getting back in. Like I was really having a hard time with the, with the decision that was not mine that I made, you know, I had other plans, but I am very thankful for that time period because it was in that sort of break that I just started paying attention to how I was feeling and obviously had more time on my hands. And so that gave me this space to realize that I wasn't feeling good with like just how I was treating my body in terms of what I was eating. And, you know, I was just lazy and like grabbing whatever and eating a lot of animal products at that time, like a lot of dairy and cheese and stuff. And like, it never has sat well with me, but I just never paid attention enough to kind of make a change. So that really gave me that space to make that change. I started just sort of like experimenting with a plant-based diet and was reading a lot of information and watching documentaries. And I really did start hot for food blog as a blog at that exact time, because I was using it as sort of this diary as a way to sort of show my journey. And it wasn't a great looking blog. It was just like a WordPress blog that I didn't know how to use. I didn't know how to use WordPress. So I didn't have a nice template or anything. And I was just I mean, I don't even have a, I don't even have screen grabs of it. If you could see it, it was like very basic, like nothing. And I just thought no one was going to read this, but it felt like this anonymous way to sort of put the information out there 
and like claim to the world, like I'm actually doing this. And it was just for my own accountability. Uh, and it, it, you know, I ended up getting people coming and checking out what I was doing. So it sort of sparked a little bit of just interest. Like maybe this is something, you know, hot for food sounds like something cool. I don't know what it's going to be. And so I went fully vegan by January 1st, 2010. And then later that year, I actually got back into television, ended up working at 299 Queen Street West, like the, the iconic Much Music building, which was what I always had dreamt of doing and kind of like finished my TV career there, um, started slash finished again. So I was there for another like four years. People I worked with knew I was vegan, but it's not like it was part of my like outward persona didn't talk about it on air you know kept it very separate from my professional life and like the social media life I was then building at that time but I started an Instagram for hot for food in 2012 when I got an iPhone I was gonna say you were you were before like this wave of influencers right like you were truly doing this from a hobby standpoint Yeah. It's super weird to realize you're like part of the original, like that I'm the old hat in this, like, cause it feels like you constantly have to reinvent yourself and try to keep up. And like, I really did. Yeah. I started as a hobby. My photos were filtered terribly. Like all those old photos are are on the original hot for food page, but it was fun. You know, it was just an experiment. I I was building my on-air persona on Instagram and Twitter and having a lot of fun with that. And then separately, I started this hot for food account, just posting what I was eating and sharing some vegan stuff. And it really was separate. Like I wasn't really attracting the same people that knew me from television. I was sort of tapping into the food community and the people, you know, that's when it all started. People were taking the overheads of their food, you know, that was when that trend kind of started to emerge. And so I think I always look back and think, oh, this was just good timing for me. Like it wasn't planned. It just was. And it happened to, I happened to kind of come in at this time when I could wedge myself in and sort of build something uh, without really realizing. So that's what I did and happened to build this separate Hopper food account, you know, gain some momentum, tapped into this vegan community of like other vegan people doing what I was doing. You know, there was even people who were doing it at a level that I aspired to, you know, who had the hundred thousand followers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just kept doing that. And then I ended up losing my TV job again in 2014, uh, Bell Media at the time made a bunch of cuts and I was part of that, but I had relaunched the blog as like a more professional, cute, front-facing, very public blog. And so I did that in February, 2014, and then lost my job in July, 2014. And, you know. Yeah, it's funny how the universe works out, right? Oh, yeah. The timing of all that. I was like paving the way. Like, to be honest, when I was at Bell Media and Much Music and MTV, like we all knew something was going to happen. Like I had been around the block at that point enough to know the ax is coming down. Like we all were like, there's going to be layoffs. Like there's going to be cuts, you know, the industry was hurting because of digital content. We were sitting around doing nothing half the time. Like we weren't even making shows. So I was like making my blog while I was at work, you know, (laughs) so many people, but that's how so many people get started, right? Like that's not uncommon. Yeah. So I set up the, the, the iteration of hot for food blog that you see now. I mean, I've redesigned it since, but it was a Squarespace blog and made that while I was still at much in my downtime and yeah, launched it. And I got like 10,000 viewers or 10,000 
viewers or hits or whatever page views or something like in the first couple like month. And so that let me know like, okay, this, you know, and that was able because that was because I brought my Instagram following over to my now destination blog, right? with recipes. So again, I felt like I was just playing around. Like I really didn't know what any of this would be. And I, and I really felt like I don't understand this landscape really that well. Like I understand social media to a degree from my experience, but blogging, I was just like very confused. I was like, how do you make money? How do you put ads on here? I just had to figure it all out. So yeah, by July, 2014, when I lost my job, to be honest, I was like pretty excited because I felt I was kind of done with that whole thing and hot for food felt like it could become my job it felt like if I can just dedicate enough time and hours to this I can really build it to something so I just hit the ground running and literally the day I lost my job I like popped a bottle of champagne with my friend we were like super excited because it was like the universe pushing me out the door like I didn't make the decision it pushed me out it said okay now you go do this and so that's what I did and I just dedicated my full-time uh, energy to creating recipes, doing a blog. And shortly after that, I started making videos and did a YouTube channel. I'm nodding so like vigorously because <laughs> something really similar happened to me in my life. So I completely understand. And I think it's funny how the universe lines up in a way that we don't always know how we're going to get where we're going to go, but it kind mm-hmm. of all works. Hopefully you hope it all works out in the end, right? So very interesting story. I love that. So let's start with the basics of plant-based diets because there's different iterations of that. So can you kind of walk us through? Yeah, there is. There's a lot of complicated, annoying information, I have to say, sort of out there with lots of labels and definitions. I've tried to stay away from that as much as possible. For me, it was this choice of like, I know I need to eat fully 100% plant-based. And I say, I interchange the word plant-based and vegan. I I say I'm vegan. I'm 100% vegan. My journey started as I'm going vegan. But it really was just a dietary choice at the beginning. It took me up to three years to kind of make my entire lifestyle kind of cruelty free and really, you know, I took my time to get to that place to connect with the ethics of it all, right? And to really understand that all of this is connected, that all my choices and purchases and where my wallet goes should represent a cruelty free lifestyle. So that didn't happen at the very beginning. It, it's an evolution and I and I support that journey for people because it's too overwhelming and that's how I felt to like do everything all at once. Even the way I did the diet was eliminate one thing at a time and finally arrive at a place where I'm eating completely uh, vegan. So vegan, vegan can be, can, you know, perceived as very much more intense and hardcore and strict. And I don't, I get it. I get that vegans, we have a deeper connection to our decision to be vegan. It's not just the diet which is why people like to distinguish, well, you're plant-based and you're vegan. You know, this ve- this mm-hmm. vegan does everything 100%, you know, by the rules, does not contribute to any, an- as little animal suffering as possible. It's almost impossible to be like clear of all animal suffering. There's always some, you know, minute minutia thing that you're not aware of. Plant-based is just like, oh, you're just doing it for the diet. You're doing it for health reasons. You're just 
you know, yeah, it's just your distinction. Dot. I never really thought mm-hmm. of it that way. So plant-based is more the diet, whereas would you say vegan is more like the lifestyle choices surrounding that, right? Okay. Yeah. And it's an under, it's an understanding of the full circle movement and goal and yeah, doing no harm, you know, really understanding, uh, the species is species ism that exists in our culture that we people are at the top and animals are at the bottom and, you know, understanding that there is, there's equality there and that we shouldn't be treating other living things as commodities and things like that. So there's, there's much more of, I guess, a moral and an ethical Mm. stance to the veganism thing. That's traditionally how it's looked at. And I, and I am that, you know, but I wasn't that at the beginning and I still called myself vegan because I was just like, it's my aspiration. I do want to be that. Mm. I want to get to a place where I understand that, but it doesn't happen overnight. So you'll, so you will find if you go online or you're talking to people that they like to make that distinction. And, and then, so then from there, you've got all kinds of flexible ways of eating flexitarian. I think actually flexitarian, I think just means you, 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 I don't even know what flexitarian means because to me it's like an om- it's an omnivorous diet. It's an omnivorous diet where you eat everything. You're anyway, flexible. That, that's what that sounds like to me too. Yeah. Whereas vegetarian, you're still eating like animal products, right? In terms of like eggs and cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. You're just but, you just vegetarians really just you've gotten rid of meat and fish technically. Okay. okay. Um, pescatarians when you would eat fish, you would still eat fish. Okay. And I believe you would have eliminated eggs and stuff like that. You've got pegan, which is paleo vegan, which I don't understand and can't explain to you, but something <laughs> about high protein. I don't even know, to be honest. Then That's there's okay. we can Google, we can Google some yeah. of the different variations, but I think yeah. good to know, like. I think what's interesting out of that for me anyway, and that's what's a new discovery for me anyway, is the idea of like plant-based being the diet and vegan being the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really interesting too, because you would often see, you know, you, you have to kind of embrace that whole thing. So maybe it's not, you're not also having the leather bag with that vegan yeah. kind of lifestyle. Yeah. There's more people that, I mean, we're all becoming more aware of kind uh-huh. of what we're putting in our bodies. And I, I would say probably in the last year too, just having more time to be at home and cooking and, and be more thoughtful of that. We are all trying to be more sustainable, but we are also dying to experience the world and go on an epic adventure. What if we told you you can do both? Tingly is on a journey towards a cleaner and more sustainable future. The company that allows you to buy experiences for yourself or as a gift is devoted not only to helping you plan the trip of a lifetime, but also committed to making a clean life for our Earth. For more information, visit tingly.com. I mean, over the course, you've been doing this now for quite, for quite some time. So like, what have you seen in terms of like, obviously there's been more of a gravitational pull towards this. Like what sort of trends are you seeing within the space of, of plant-based diets? Well, and I want to distinguish that although I'm vegan and I'm now at this place where I've been vegan for 11 years, you know, all the decisions I make are from that mindset of the lifestyle and the ethics and the morals and like what repercussions does this have, this decision that I'm making, food, any other, any purchase, anything I'm doing. I'm not perfect, of course, you know, I fly, you know, I'm not like, so, you know, you start 
going into this place where it's like, okay, now it's minimalism and it's plastic free and it's low waste and it's like everything. Like it, yeah. th- there's all these things that I, I do pay attention to, but it's not like I'm, tr- I'm not trying to uphold some, like, I hate the, I hate the perfectionism that goes with diet culture or even just like these decisions. There's a lot of perfectionism that people think they have to achieve. And so I, I, essentially, although I'm hardcore vegan, promote a plant-based diet because that's your entry point into this. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't tell people you can only be part of this club if you also don't wear leather shoes, you know, I don't care what you do. (laughs) I don't care what you do. Yeah. I love that you're saying like, it's a journey. And I think that's true of whether we're talking about veganism or literally any other topic when we're learning about something, right? It's, it's kind of like baby steps to maybe getting to where you want to be. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to look the same for each individual. Um, so I think that's really important to, to know for sure. But social, you know, social media will, will manipulate you or bully you into thinking that you're not good enough. That's like the point of social media. And so when it comes to going vegan or anything, Mm -hmm. doing anti-racism work, which I'm doing now, it's like, it will start to make you think these baby steps aren't correct, that I should be going harder and faster and more. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the nature of hum- human nature is such that we can't do that. I love that you, you know? brought that up because we actually uh, last month had a conversation with Avery Francis on racism, the CEO of Bloom. And we talked about, you know, just taking taking the steps that you can take. Like it's not and not having this idea of perfectionism and cancel culture and all that. We don't need to get into all that today, but mm-hmm. with whatever topic it is, right? It's taking doing what you can and doing better for yourself in the way that you choose to do that. So I love that you kind of represent that mentality with this. And I, I would say there's obviously some stereotypes of vegan food. My sister is actually plant-based. So I'm mm-hmm. I often um I'll I'll call myself like hop on and off the bandwagon of that here and there. But there's that compromise that, or that idea anyway, that you have to compromise on comfort and indulgence, nostalgia. And, and I know just from recipes that she made that actually they're some of my favorite recipes Mm -hmm. oftentimes. So what, what do you say to that? I know you have this idea of like kind of taking back the word vegan. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, vegan food definitely, I guess, stems from a place where you know, I do find meat is still considered the center of the plate. You see it all over the place. You see it all over the food network. You see it just in mainstream, right? Uh, imagery, but veganism was okay. Well, if I can't eat meat, I have to eat lentils and rice, or I have to eat beans and corn. And we live in a, we, we live in a different time now, but it stems from the, the original people who tried to eat vegetarian and whatnot, like back in the day, decades ago, for whatever reason, just like limited knowledge, there was only so many options available. And there was only at that time known, known to be so many ways to make that thing. You know, I always joke about like lentil loaf, like lentil loaf is one of those like original vegan recipes that just sounds awful, Haven't tried that, <laughs> but it was like a thing that people made in the sixties or the seventies. I have no idea. I didn't corrupt that time, but it like really comes from that old school place. Right. There's mm-hmm. other stuff too. Like, and maybe it stems from classic French cooking or something. I don't know. It's like a weird, it's like a meatloaf, but it's like a compact, like brick of lentils. And it's just, it's not <laughs> selling good. me on it. I'm You're so, not selling not me on good. that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, it, 
now we're in a place where for whatever reason, just the knowledge of fusing cultures together and techniques of cooking and and because of the mainstream culture of food with the food network, just the ideas and the skill level at which people can make vegan food better, that's started to happen. Even from the time I started in 2009, 2010 till now, we've seen a huge revolution of vegan products, which I fully support and love because it makes it easier for people. But there is still quite a stigma that vegan cheese is disgusting and mushy and tastes like cardboard or that tofu is bland and somehow you are compromising by swapping uh, chicken for tofu. But I'm really just trying to show, and I'm not certainly not the only one doing this because all my peers are in the same kind of headspace with showing that you can eat everything that you are accustomed to eating as an omnivore, tacos, burgers, mac and cheese, donuts. Like it's not all junk food. We also eat lots of big bowls and salads and whatnot, but that's just not the exciting stuff to show necessarily. Everyone knows they can put together some kind of bowl. Well, actually not everyone does know that. That's why I included it in my book, but (laughs) you know, there are the basics. I'm not great at putting together bowls. So I appreciate. (laughs) I take for granted that I a lot of this stuff is very easy to me. Yeah. I do have to realize by talking to my audience that, yeah, it's not always, those connections aren't always made. So yeah, I mean, there's endless, endless ideas. There's so many YouTube channels. There's so many bloggers doing this. To me, it's like, there's just no excuse anymore. You have this wealth, this a plethora of information at your fingertips. You can literally Google anything, make, you know, talk like any dish you want and then put the word vegan or plant-based after it and hundreds of recipes will come up. So in fact, it's just overwhelming. It's too much information because then you're like, well, which recipe should I make? And where do I even start? There's there's so much. So well, now um, we know to go right to you. <laughs> yeah, come come talk. With yeah. me. I have almost everything you could want. Yeah. Well, and you have a new book out called Hot for Food. So tell us a little bit about the process of developing recipes for that book and, and your work there. Well, my first book, Vegan Comfort Classics, was... I don't know, this like wish list of recipes I did want to make like comfort food recipes that I am nostalgic about, that I ate when I traveled, that I remember eating when I wasn't a vegan and wanted to recreate those favorites. This one, when I thought about what does a follow-up book look like, it still will be rooted in comfort food no matter what, because that's just the type of stuff that I love to eat. But how can I just make things a little more easier, accessible, kind of everyday feeling. Like, can I cook, can, can someone cook through this book morning to night and feel like it was pretty simple? That sort of was what I was going for. Hence the name all day, hot for food all day. So there's still some star standouts that might take a little longer to make, but for the most part, it's quicker, easier meals. Um, And the main thread throughout is that I really took a concept that I was showcasing on my YouTube channel where I was quite good and savvy with like just whipping stuff up on the spot or taking leftovers of different recipes that I had lying around in my fridge from testing and then making a whole new dish. So I've shown people how to level up their leftovers. So they'll make one recipe like a corn chowder and then that a portion of that soup gets turned into a completely different dish, like a pasta sauce or a different type of sauce for, I make a hollandaise sauce out of corn chowder. So it's just really, I think, transformative, unique ways to think about food because I just, people don't, people think there are these rigid rules or there's like certain way of eating something. And there really isn't. And you really with practice can get quite creative. And especially when you're trying to make meals quickly for your family or your kids, like, 
you know, it's one thing to just reheat leftovers, but if you get bored with that, like I do, like maybe you could just do one little quick tweak to kind of like change it into something totally different. So that's what I've tried to infuse into the book and really want to empower people to like take that concept and run with it. Like I've just given you some thought starters and some ideas, but you can, there's so many other ways to do that with the recipes in this book that I haven't shown. And I think people can really just, yeah, take that and go. I love that. As I was flipping through, because I mentioned to you, I just thought it yesterday. As I was flipping mm-hmm. through, I loved seeing that because I always mentally really enjoy when there's something in my fridge that I can like reuse again, like a leftover yeah. I can put in a different way. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a really unique thing, which you don't often see in cookbooks. Is that fair to say? Like I, I offhand anyway, I can't think of anything, but. There's a quite a, I guess, a, a famous book by a big author the name is escaping me that the book is called now and then. And she did that, um, where she does show you how to take the leftover bits and she makes kind of a whole new menu plan with it. So I did look at that book. It wasn't very visual though, which I thought was just, you know, didn't really vibe with my kind of thing. Like every recipe has a photo here because it's like, I just feel like you're not going to, you're not going to make it if you don't a know what it's supposed to look like and you don't kind of get enticed by the photo. We eat with our eyes first. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I don't think I'm the, uh, there's definitely that book and maybe there are others. That was the one I knew of that had done it. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more of it to be honest. And I think it's funny because even in the last couple months, I'm seeing social content really reflect this leftovers idea. And even there's that Netflix show where they're cooking leftover, they're cooking leftovers in a food competition, oh, which I was like, not. what the heck? And you know, I, this is not like my idea, but it's just funny because like really nobody, really even on YouTube, nobody was doing that. Um, oh, I have to check out that show. I did. I've never, I've never seen it. Yeah. But yeah, back to the book for a second. The visuals are amazing. I was flipping through and like the black forest cake and the tahini, like the desserts look insane that it's, it's, you're absolutely right. When, when I get a cookbook that doesn't have visuals for every photo, there's absolutely no way I'm making that, that recipe. So I like that you kind of incorporate that into, into everything. I don't know why it's like not mandated that there be photos, but I have countless cookbooks and you know, there's a photo every fourth page or something like yeah. this. And you're like, why is there no photo for that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to I think, see it to know I'm going to yeah. want to eat it, you know, totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great, a great kind of coffee table book too, in a way I find like a fun thing to kind of flip through um, while you're sitting on the couch as well. But yeah, yeah. just to get ideas. Like it's not even totally. like you may make any, you may make, you may follow something exactly, but you may just look at a photo and think, oh, you know what? I've got some of these things in the fridge, but not exactly. So I'm just going to whip together it with what I have. So I've, I feel like all along through Hot for Food, the blog, and, and especially through video, because you're really able to communicate that concept through video. That's just what I've done. And so I really just wanted to make sure I took that kind of idea or that like part of my brand and make sure that it was part of the second book for people. What are some things, and I know you mentioned this at the beginning part of the book, but just a couple, call it five items maybe that you would recommend people have in their pantry when they're cooking, when they're kind of transitioning over to cooking vegan and maybe five isn't enough, but are there a few kind of Mm -hmm. staple products that you really like? Yeah, I could always go more than five, but I'll try to keep it to (laughs) five. 
I mean, these are things that you'll find I use in every single recipe. There are things people, you know, like a bottle of soy sauce, people may just have for when they eat sushi or for when they make a stir fry. But soy sauce or tamari, I also listed as tamari, uh, which is Japanese soy sauce. It's a staple pantry ingredient because you're going to use it for tons of different recipes in different ways. It's umami, it's sodium, it's deep, rich flavor. So that is something you do need to have in vegan cooking because you're trying to accomplish the same types of layered flavors that sometimes meat does on its own. When you sear meat and the fat cooks, right, you're getting a certain type of flavor and mouthfeel. And you're always trying to recreate that experience for people, obviously, without searing meat. So you do need to add marinades and layers of flavor to certain things. And so soy sauce or tamari is a really good one to have a bottle in the fridge. You'll find if you cook my recipes online or in the book, you're going to use it a lot. Um, Nutritional yeast is a big one. I always say people should just have nutritional yeast regardless of whether they're vegan or not but you do find it's in every vegan pantry and every vegan will tout the magic of nutritional yeast because it really is we like it and I think it's like again one of those old school vegan products because it's like a supplement it's it's pure b12 it also has protein and iron in it and but it's a seasoning it's a flavor enhancer it brings out the flavor of things almost like an MSG, but it's like natural. Uh, it's in, 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 inactive yeast. So it doesn't affect anybody that has yeast sensitivities, but it's a, it's a flavor. It's something that gets mixed into a lot of sauces, um, and lots of different things. Sometimes it's even in my dessert recipes, cause it does this thing where it just brings out the flavor of stuff. And at its simplest, it's a great popcorn seasoning. It's got this cheesiness oh, and it's, it has it has an addictive quality because it's natural glutamic acid, which is what MSG is. So it, that's why it has that kind of like flavor enhancement and like addictive quality to it. But it's not bad for you. Hmm. Um, okay, that's two things. You need like, um, I don't want to say one spice, you need a a few spices. Can that be one thing? You need a few spices. Like you need, you know, a smoked paprika I use a lot because again, meat is smoky. It has that essence to it. So you'll find smoked paprika finds its way into a lot of different things because it's a subtle smokiness that you do want in, in your food and in your dishes, especially comfort food, cumin, garlic powder, uh, cinnamon, you know, at least have like six things in there just to get you started. Eventually you'll find my my spice rack. (laughs) Yeah. People should, that's a good, uh, mention to like do do a little bit of a clean out spices do last for quite a long time, but if they've been in there for like over a decade, you might need to do some replacing. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But if you start cooking vegan, you're really going to utilize your spice drawer because again, you're building flavors. You can't just cook a piece of tofu without anything on it. And often meat is seasoned with the exact same things. Like a chicken, what do you think? When you think of chicken and spice, you think of sage, rosemary, thyme. So whenever I'm trying to make something that has chicken in it or a chicken like, like a chicken soup, you know, I would be using those exact same spices to build that flavor profile profile. and to remind you that you're eating a chicken noodle soup just without chicken in it. Mm -hmm. 
So you're, you're really going to want to use your spices the more you cook. And then you probably need like apple cider vinegar or at least some type of vinegar other than a white. White vinegar will work if you have it around for cleaning, <laughs> but apple cider vinegar has more flavor. Rice vinegar has more flavor. White wine vinegar has more flavor. For, so get at least one or two of those and you can interchange them in the recipes. If I say apple cider vinegar, you don't necessarily, you could use white wine vinegar. It's would act the same way. But vinegar, again, when you're trying to accomplish these flavors, right, like salty, sweet, tangy, vinegar is one of those key things where you need to have acidity or like tanginess to stuff. Um, Miso paste is another one. Miso paste is fermented soy paste. And it is, again, pure umami, very deep flavors, not just applicable to like Asian dishes or Japanese dishes. It's really good in lots of different things. And you'll find I use it in dressings a lot and sauces a lot. And you know, similar to the soy sauce tamari, it's from the same family, obviously, but it's got that richness and it's a paste. So it works really good to make like thick, even like gravy. It's, 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 sometimes it's in my gravy recipes, you know, how many am I at? Did I, think I do it all? Five. Yeah, I think you bought yeah. them all. You did soy. Traditional yeast, spices, vinegar, spices and miso vinegar. paste. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I love it. And then that's a good starter, like a good starter kit. Yeah. <laughs> no, cause I always think what, what oftentimes will hinder me from maybe trying or making a recipe is not having that one item, you know? So I always feel like if you can build your pantry basics first, mm -hmm. that's like a, a good place to, to, to get you more in the direction of cooking in a, in a certain way kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's super helpful. Moms, they're the real superheroes, saving us from heartbreak, big mistakes, and even from ourselves from time to time. Treat your mom like the hero she is this Mother's Day with the Superwoman Gift Box from experiential gifting company Tingly. With this package, your mom can go on a wild adventure like zip lining or pamper herself on an evening dinner cruise. It's totally up to her. Learn more at tingly.com backslash collections backslash superwoman. And don't forget, Mother's Day is on May 9th. forget about we forget about about flavor vegan or vegan flavor comes first but let's say you're just trying to incorporate more vegan recipes and you're like well am i gonna buy this miso paste for this one recipe and then never use it again mm -hmm. my answer is no you're gonna make that one recipe with the miso paste you're gonna realize how tasty it is because that miso is really in there and it's now giving you this other flavor experience that you never had and then you can use that i'm not promoting people eat meat but i mean you can baste a piece of meat with the miso too you can use the gravy on a piece of meat like i just find totally. like these are ingredients you should get familiar with using because they're going to make your eating experience better. Yeah. 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 It's funny when you try like a new spice and I think of this, I think of cilantro for some reason, which I know is a controversial herb sometimes. <laughs> I really like it. Me but too. <laughs> I remember like having it on a vegan dish years and years ago and then being like, oh my gosh, I kind of love this. And then at a Mexican restaurant, had it in like a chicken noodle soup and like, this isn't me. So I guess moral of the story is you kind of find different ways that you're incorporating these, these things that you're just trying, right. And trying something out and then you see where else it fits and kind of the yeah, fun of cooking. If you like cilantro, you can put cilantro on every single meal, which is what I do. Do you? Yeah. Every salad, every pasta, like, cause often it's like, I just need to use up the bunch of cilantro. So I yes. just start chopping it yeah. up and throwing it on everything. And if you really like that flavor, 
it goes with pretty much everything. It's not relegated to only Mexican food. You know, you can you can use it as part of your greens that you eat. Like I really like fresh herbs like in a salad bowl because then it's so flavorful, like dill so and flavorful. cilantro and yeah. mint. Like you're getting all of this flavor. I just, you need to have flavor. That's how you'll feel more satisfied and full too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. So you talked a little bit about kind of your journey to be plant-based and then vegan. What are some, was it a health issue that happened or what are some health tips, I guess, or health benefits of going vegan or plant-based? Well, I can only speak to my experience, but I find just speaking to people about my lifestyle, I hear the same thing all the time because most people are not able to eat dairy, but we do it anyway. We're so conditioned. We're also addicted to the the casein and the rennet that's in cheeses and stuff like we're actually addicted to it. So it's, it's like not even a choice. (laughs) You're addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like for me, meat didn't really sit well. It was very much a digestive thing. I didn't have any serious problems, but I just would eat whatever I wanted and then have to experience the aftermath of that, which was not fun. And I thought, Oh, this must just be normal. Like everyone must have terrible stomach problems after they eat like it's actually kind of twisted how you just deal you just ignore it (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did that for years um until I finally just was like sick and tired of it I was just like I don't feel good like I gotta make a change and it was like always in the back of my mind like dairy dairy you gotta get rid of the dairy I'm lactose intolerant so I never really drank milk or anything but it was like the it was cheese for sure I was like addicted to cheese ate it like three times a day especially when you eliminate meat you kind of then start to lean heavily on the eggs and the cheese which I did a lot too I would say okay I'm giving up meat now but then I would just eat tons of dairy products (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We forget about vegetables for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's too funny. I think obviously everyone kind of has their own reason. What I was going to say is when, and I, and I see it with myself and and I mentioned my sister earlier, when you maybe have a little piece of cheese after you have it for so long or you have, you immediately see the effects in your body. Like whether it's a rash on your skin, whether it's an upset stomach, whether it's not maybe being able to sleep as well that night, mm-hmm. it's food. And I don't know if our, our healthcare system gives enough to this, but food is like, has such an effect on your body and can, and can really kind of be medicine in some ways, you know, too, which I think is really interesting. And yeah, so when you kind of eliminate those things that you mentioned are maybe addictive or whatever, and then you have a bite of it because it was in something, it's, it is insane to me how quickly your body reacts to that. Yes, uh, 100%. And I noticed that with myself, I hear this, that same kind of story anecdotally all of the time. So you need to show you need to prove to yourself that that's what's going on, right? It's, if anything, this is more of a mental game, because we are addicted chemically to a lot of the things we're fed and told to eat, or even just with the marketing of fast food, or just like easy options, like we're not realizing how much sugar and salt and things are in these foods that we then just become addicted to. And look, I love packaged food. I love junk food. Like, I'm not saying don't eat it. I'm just saying start to have an awareness of, yes, the effects that are happening. For me, eliminating animal products pretty much cleared the issue because I can eat a vegan version of some type of junk food. And I actually don't, I feel pretty fine. It was always the animal products that were like really weighing me down, really upsetting my stomach. So I needed to prove to myself, okay, this is an issue. Let's just do this experiment, right? Eliminate something. And then I would 
try it again and I would you reject you just reject it so that is how it started with me it was kind of a health thing it was like just an overall well-being issue that I needed to solve and pretty much all of our ailments or discomforts can be resolved I would say most often 90% of the time by adjusting our our food that we're intaking yeah no it's really I'm I'm always interested in reading more articles on that. And yeah, no, that's really interesting. And that can be very confusing at the same time, which I felt like I was going through that dilemma, like reading all the information about what I should be eating wasn't really helping me. Fair. Uh, I had to just do it myself and listen to my own body and really tap into like, that exchange, what goes in, what happens. <laughs> um, it's true that we don't yeah. often listen to our own body enough. And we, you know, whether it's the Canada food guide or whatever that is, like everyone's body is different and absorbs yeah. things differently and functions a little differently, you know, when it comes to how it's digested. So it really is like what works for you. Right. And, mm-hmm. and a bit yeah. of trial and error involved in that. So yeah. For those of us that are looking to take steps towards becoming vegan, we always kind of like to end the conversation with now that we've talked about it, how do we action it? Are there a couple of your favorite recipes that you would recommend or some places to start? Yeah. Sometimes I think it's like, you know, I hear the like, well, I could never give up cheese argument. You know, that's, that's the big one. And I say, well, why don't you try some vegan cheese recipes or some vegan cheese products, you know, stop eating the cheese so much. If you're anything like me, I was just grabbing cheese and crackers like twice a day as like the sustenance I needed. I think a lot of people do that. Just take a piece of cheese, you know, um, my nacho cheese sauce is the one I feel like it's the gateway for people. I get feedback all the time that like, I thought this was weird blending up potatoes and carrots into cheese sauce, but now we're addicted. Like now we're addicted to this cheese sauce, but there's nothing bad in it that there's, we're not addicted because we're not addicted because there's any like chemical, um, you know, reaction to like a protein. We're addicted because it just tastes delicious. And, and it's making us feel like we're eating creamy queso cheese with nacho chips or on macaroni. And like, that's satisfying the craving that I, that I, that I'm having from stopping eating cheese or whatever. So look up my nacho cheese recipe. It's in vegan comfort classes, but it's also on my blog. And for me, that's the gateway. Again, I, I tend to think dairy is the, since dairy is the thing we're kind of hooked to, dairy is the thing you should actually try to like start swapping out first, because that's what I found. Even though, I, like I said, I would eliminate meat, but the dairy kept me like kind of hooked into all my bad eating habits and all of the addiction to animal products. So even making like an Alfredo sauce out of blended cashews or blended tofu, like again, eating a creamy bowl of linguine is like the ultimate indulgence, but it doesn't, you don't feel guilty because you're not eating the same type of saturated fat from an animal byproduct. You're eating it from cashews. So you're getting good fat. Uh, it's still silky and smooth when you blend it. So it's the same mouth feel. Again, it's like that satisfying experience that you're looking for. Uh, so there's no compromise, but you've just made a few ingredient swaps and now you feel better. Now you actually feel lighter. Now you're not running to the bathroom right after you eat it. Like, yeah, seriously. Good point. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, those are good starters. And also, you know, see where you're, again, maybe you're relying on eggs too much. Maybe you're eating an egg in the morning and then throwing an egg on your salad because you think you need this protein, but eggs have tons of cholesterol. Can you 
make a like breaded little tofu nugget like I have in hopper food all day and put that on this, like make those on a Sunday and then have them all week to throw on your salad. You know, mm-hmm. just make a swap or two. You don't need to go all in tomorrow. You can finish up your jar of mayonnaise. You can finish up your package of eggs, but just start swapping out one thing at a time. And it's, you're really just trying to get yourself used to it. Like, it's, again, it's all mental. It's a mental game mm-hmm. of like, how can I just switch this habit? Because we're all habitual. We all do the same. We all tend to eat pretty much the same stuff every day over and over. And you yeah. kind of just have to start playing a game with yourself in your mind by making these swaps and then you'll yeah. eventually start building new habits that are probably serving you better, serving your body better. A good time to be building new habits too, because we are home and at least here in Canada, we'll be home for a little while longer. I know. <laughs> so uh, a, a great time to kind of start, start those building blocks, right? If it's of interest. Yeah. That's it's great. really building blocks. Like I really don't recommend people again, become obsessed with having to make a change overnight and, uh, you'll, you'll fail, you know, you won't sustain it. Just do one thing at a time and don't overwhelm yourself. Yeah. I love that. Well, and thank you, Lauren, so much for being on here today, opening our eyes to veganism, some of the benefits of it, how we can incorporate it into our own diet. And we're, we're looking forward to continuing the conversation. If we want to find you, where can, where can people do that? Yes, I'm on Instagram at hot for food and at Lauren Toyota. I do run those accounts. So I see the messages. I'm not always quick to reply, but I'm, I'm looking and I'm answering people and all the information about my new cookbook will be on Instagram um, as well. You can pre-order it or get it wherever books are sold. What else? If you want to see how I made my cookbook, go to my YouTube channel, which is hot for food on YouTube. And there's some episodes of a behind the scenes series I did showing you my testing process, showing you kind of the actual work that goes into yeah, making a cookbook like this. I saw one of those. They were really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lauren, so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada.